Hey, welcome back to this week's episode of Dementia in Black and White. I am your host, Matthew Johnson. And in this week's episode, we are going to continue a conversation that we started last week with Dr. Brian Gaines. So if you are new here, I encourage you to go back and listen to last week's episode so you can have an introduction to Dr. Gaines and you can hear the beginning or the part one of this conversation that we are going to continue part two of today. But I thank you for choosing this podcast. You have a lot of options out there in the podcast community, and I thank you for selecting this one. So with the miracle of our time machine, let us go back in time and continue on the conversation with Dr. Brian Gaines. You know, when you when you're trying to find placement or something for, you know, for for African-American or a black man or, or a black person in general, there's certain things that you kind of need in place. And, and, and trust me, there was nothing. The place where I had my dad for for a while for as a placeholder was in a Jewish community. You know, and I mean, and he, we had all kind of problems with him. And so it was real clear to me just by having him in that place. It was like they would put they kept giving him matzo ball soup and he said he didn't want that. And and mm. and, and and he would flip it over every day and they would and they would send the pet team, you know, in and they and they would send him to the psychiatric ward. Now what's the pet why, what's the pet the, team? Uh, uh that is the um what is that called? The psychiatric evaluation team. I oh, think okay. that's what it is. Okay. But anyway, it's a team that they they have come out to evaluate the person and they put them on a hold. You know, and 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 he has he's he's got Alzheimer's disease. He doesn't need to be put on a hold, you know. Mm. And so, you know, trying to help them understand, you know, where the behavior is coming from. It's like, you know, they're not culturally, you know, sensitive to what's going on. It's like, you know, if, if you stop giving him matzo ball soup, mm. you know, maybe that wouldn't happen, you right, know. And so, right. it took some time for that. But those are the kinds of things what I what what I saw happening to him there. I knew it was clear in my mind that this is happening all over the place. You know, there's all types of, you know, uh, uh, people of color that are landing in facilities like this where there's no music like them. The people don't look like them, you know, and they're wondering why they're declining so fast, you know, and, and, and why they're disengaged. And, you know, because and then, you know, everything, all of the games that they play, they're not playing things that are familiar to them. And so they feel left out, you know, and as a result, they just decline so much quicker. And so I said to myself, you know what? I got to create a spot for, for, for our people in the community. And so that's when I came up with the idea, you know, I was going to turn his home into a care facility and dedicated to him. His name was Melvin. And so we called, we named it Mel's memory care. Wow. All and right. I, Hold on. I, let, let me, let me just step <laughs> back. Cause this is a lot of information just to yeah. make sure I got the story so far. So you got a call, you're in your master's program, your aunt who had been taking care of your father says, your father got that Alzheimer's and you need to come get him. At that point, you just uh, essentially, I guess, at the beginning, at some point, you had him into a facility. It didn't start out as, you know, as you taking care of him in his home. You had him in a facility and kind of just realizing that this facility wasn't necessarily culturally in line with your father. And it sounds like, you know, that probably is a story that repeats itself at other facilities all across this country that uh, people, you know, have some behavior and to address the behavior instead of, you know, kind of studying and figuring out what might be at the root of this. 
they right. do this uh, psychiatric evaluation or whatever, and then you have them kind of put in time out. And unfortunately, that story is all too common going back to children in elementary school because teachers may not understand the child and then they're either chemically restraining them with, you know, all the type of medicines that you put on kids who uh, yeah. don't have attention or lack, right. you know, deficit mm-hmm. disorders and all of that. Or they get suspended. You hear these stories about little girls, little black girls who get suspended as early as, you know, kindergarten and first grade for things right. that really are just, I think, a lack of understanding. So it's interesting that this can continue through a person's life, even as they're ailing or senior, you can still have this condition of a lack of understanding. But in either case, so as a result of that, or maybe other things, you then decide that his house without the long-term care insurance might be a long-term solution. So you turn his house into this a place for him, actually, and, and others. So let's go into that. So what was that process like? I know you talked about the licensing. I mean, was that difficult? How long did it take from when you said, I'd like to open up my father's home for him and others to grand opening? What was that process? Yeah, well, for, for one, you know, by being at the Alzheimer's Association, I had a wonderful opportunity to meet some really great people. And so I had read some um you know, some really great books and, and they gotten some information. And so I had, I had a really, really good idea of a concept of, of, of something that I had learned and wanted to create space for that. And so I wanted to pay attention to all the details, you know, and so, but mind you, you know, this is, uh, you know, financially, it, it could cost me a lot to do these things. And so in the very beginning, I was just grappling with in my mind with how to utilize the home. Because mind you, this is something that I had never done before. And so I was just trying to figure out the space and and how I was going to do it. And um, and of course, I, I'm right now I'm reading this book called Chatter. But and at the time, I just had a lot of chatter in my head, you know, in terms of what I want to, because it went from, you know what, I need a long-term care solution for my dad. Then it got to be this whole bigger thing. Then it got to involve like the, you know, what I can do for the community. And it just started evolving. And, 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 I, and I started looking at it from a whole different perspective of just, you know, as a care solution for just him, but a care solution for other people and, you know, a, a, a resource for other people. Um, and so I, I went into this whole thing. So the first thing was, you know, you have to go through licensing in the state of California to have a care facility. And so the idea was that not many places have been licensed with a specific dementia care of operation plan of operation. Mm. And so this is kind of, you know, new and, and, and especially in the area that we were in, which was mostly a black community, um, there were there were no facilities six bed, small facilities, residential facilities of such. And so, you know, I was setting out to do something that hadn't been done in that, in the South Los Angeles area. And, um, and, and anybody that knows me, I'm not going to, I'm not going to have do anything. And so, you know, I want state of the art, you know, because this is for our seniors, we've got to go all the way out. We've got to have, you know, everything that all the bells and the whistles, you know, is what I, is what I set out for, um, in, in doing that. And so, uh, but there was a lot of hard knocks along the way. You know, one thing I learned about licensing real quick is, you know, follow instructions, you know, do, do what they tell you to do when you're trying to get that license. 
You know, okay. I mean, just be very clear in terms of in terms of, you know, building out the space. Um, you know, those were all things that were were um, they were challenging because, you know, there's the safety, there's safety issues and things, you know, even when it comes to, you know, the types of ramps and things that you need to put in and, and rails mm-hmm. and, you know, being able to, you know, have a place where medication can be safely kept and be separated from other residents, you know, because mm-hmm. you could only, you know, they only allow you to be licensed for six people at, at most. Okay. And so um, so everything has to be, you know, designed in a way where how are you going to take care of these six people, you know, um, and, and what does your program look like? And you have to have the beds, you have to have a certain amount of space, you know, two beds, two dressers, two closets, you know, all this kind of thing. Mm. And so, you know, one of the challenges is that these homes in the Los Angeles area, they're not configured like that. Mm. You know, mm. that's not something. And so, you know, the ideal is that, you know, now you have to go through, you know, all of these, you know, building codes and, and, and all this stuff, which I, I, I'm not an engineer, so I know nothing about this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, all I know is, is, is growing up, people in my family, they just did whatever they wanted to do. This is my house. I'm going to do it. They knock stuff down, tear stuff down. Mm-hmm. There wasn't a whole lot of people getting fined, you know, for buildings. And, you know, they turned their garage into another room and, right. you know, all this kind of stuff. And so, you know, I mean, you know, I got a little education under my belt, but, you know, I'm, I'm, I am who I am. And so, you know, I'm going to do what I know how to do. And so I'm going to hire some folks that can get this work done for me. And that's right. kind of how I set out to do. And so but I learned the hard way. It's like, you know, it, it wasn't something that, you know, was wise in, in, in terms of, you know, the aftermath of, of things that I did have to change and fix and do over, you know, where, you know, one of those things, if you did it right the first time, you wouldn't have to do it again. And so mm-hmm. I had to learn those things, you know, trying to, you know, trying to do take take some little shortcuts. It didn't pay. It didn't pay off in the end. But um, but 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 most of all, you know, it was it was really trying to figure out how to how to fit everything in there that I that I wanted to do and get that license done. And and we were able to to do that and created a, a space where we had a resource library in the back for people in the community that wow. could stop by. It's like, you know, on your way to the, you know, to, to the drugstore or whatnot. If you need to stop by here, you can pick up, you know, some information. Um, mm-hmm. I created a space that the, there was a front house. And so we had a space for the people in the front house. But in the back where the garage was, I kind of created like a walking path and I and I turned the garage into like this this multi-purpose area. So they had a space where they had music. It was oh, just real wow. after we had we had the old posters of Aretha Franklin and, <laughs> and you know James Brown, you know, those okay. kinds of things. We had a little section for music. And then we had um I, I had a, a a friend that had had just designed this this wonderful thing called Dankum Empower. And it was a touchscreen um, uh, computer that was that was built to help people with memory loss to kind of mm. help stimulate their memory. And so by me, again, the Alzheimer's Association and, and those links and those connections, him and I became friends. He had a dad that was dealing with the disease and I had a dad and I decided to open up a place and he decided to use technology. And so, but by us being friends, I was one of the, uh, you know, in that, in, in an area like that to be the first facility to have a Dankum in power, you know, it was a good selling point, but at the same time, it was, it was something that, you know, again, it was state of the art that I wanted for, you know, for our seniors. I said, you know, this, yeah, this is, you know, for, for, for our people in our black community, but I want it to be nice. 
know, the yeah. same thing when it came down to, you know, bathing. I was like, you know, I don't want just a regular shower. And so I started, you know, I set out to look for it. At that time, though, they were relatively new. And now they, they're real fancy. Now those walk-in, those walk-in shower tubs now, at the yeah. time, they, it was called a Medi-Tub. And so I had one of those put in there. You know, so for for the patients that, you know, that we needed to be able to get them in easy to bathe, they can sit down in it. We could fill it up with water and they can use the shower on that. And so but those are the some of the things that I did. Um, I had this idea around memory boxes. I told the guys to just cut some holes in the wall. And, and the idea was that you cut the hole in the wall and it's a memory box. And then they put things in there that remind, you know, like pictures of their family or, you know, maybe if they had an award or something. And the idea is this, this is, helps them remember that this is their room. Yeah. When they see that memory box. And so, but those were all things that I learned from studying the disease and getting immersed in it and meeting all these different people. I was take I was able to take all of that and to incorporate it into Mel's memory care and get that license and and, and move my dad in there and and had other people in and and I learned so much from that because when you see this disease, when you're taking care of someone, you 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 see the disease through 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 that person. Mm-hmm. But when you have a care facility, you get to see it, the, the lens, you get to see it through so many different people. And, and there's some different experiences. So we did. I had a Caucasian guy in there was one of my outside of my dad being my first. He was my first paying resident. Okay. And, um, and, and, and and his whole his whole dementia state was very different than what my dad was dealing with. And all of them had different things. But this was a guy that come from a very different walk of life. We didn't expect this. And, you know, but still, but we had to adapt because one of the first things that they told me is that now he has season tickets for the Philharmonic. Mm. And it's like, and he needs to go to those shows. And and I'm like, well, who's going to take him to those shows? And lo and behold, this man in the midst of his disease taught me about classical music. I was the one who took him down to the Disney hall, you know, for all of the shows we had, she gave me all the tickets and we, and that was a date that him and I had. Wow. And that was an experience, you know, that I didn't even expect to come out of this. And so we would take that trip. He would get all dressed up. And this, and this is this, this the, the way the disease works is really something. Because in the very early days, he was very sharp. He was explaining to me, okay, so now when we go in there, we're going to go have lunch. And then once we have lunch, we're going to, I mean, it was all, you know, it was all planned out the way that he wanted to, to do it. And he was teaching me, you know, because I had never... Look, I had never listened to classical music in that way. <laughs> okay. had definitely hadn't thought about going to the to the to the Philharmonic or the right. Disney concert hall or any of that. I was fascinated by it. As a social worker, it was it it was something that I had never done. And here I have a person in the midst of their disease. This man was teaching me, you know, all of the etiquette and you know when to stand, when to sit down, and everything. And mm. it was and it was so interesting, you know. And then on the way back home, we would have the conversation, and we would have you know good conversations in the beginning. Then toward when this start, when this disease started progressing. Some of those trips on the way home, coming back from from the Philharmonic, going back to where the facility was, about maybe a 15, 20 minute drive. And we would hop on the freeway. Mm-hmm. And he started he started asking me, so how did you enjoy the show? And I would say, you know, it was fine. Everything and a few minutes passed. Like, so how did you enjoy the show? Mm-hmm. I mean, and it just kept going yeah. on. And I, and I just kept responding every time he would ask me. I was responding like it was the first time. Right. So and 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 the funny thing about that story is that. I wasn't responding to him negatively. I was responding just like it was the first time. Yeah. But the foot on the gas was responding negatively. I looked up. I was doing about 120 <laughs> miles an hour. 
And I said in my head, I was saying, if this man asked me one more time, how did I enjoy the show? But, you know, but that's just one, you know, that's just one story of, of something that I got out of this whole journey that I was on in terms of this disease and how different it is with different people and how you have to be kind of open to learn what you need to learn. And, you know, we had many residents and, and, and we were able to connect them. And, you know, we did it for as long as we could, you know, in terms of taking care of folks. There were a lot, a lot of challenges. My greatest challenge with that was um, I had a passion for this. You know, I wanted everything from my residents. It's like I took care when those people when those people brought their family member, their their mom or their aunt or their dad. It was almost like it was an extension of my family, you know, but the people that worked for me did not feel the same way. They Mm. felt like they had a job Mm. and they were getting paid to do a job. And, you know, like I said, for people that came into me, you know, that this was like, you know, this was like my grandmother and we're going to take care of my grandma. You're going to get her up. You're going to get her freshened up. She's going to have some nice fresh clothes on. You're going to fix her hair. You're going to do all these things. You know, all all of these things are going to be done. But that wasn't, you know, that wasn't their idea. And, And finding people that had that level of passion was very difficult. It was very it was a very difficult time for me. And, you know, and I did have, you know, I did have some good people, but it was it was hard, you know, for people to to catch my vision, you know, in terms of what I was trying to provide. And, you know, so a lot of hard knocks with that. But, you know, but over time, you know, I feel really good about the choice that I made that, you know, of the hand that I was dealt with. You know, a lot of times as caregivers, we say, you know, we don't know what we're going to do with this hand that we were dealt and, you know, and basically I, I took that and, you know, and I was able to to do that for my dad until he took his last breath. And I'm sure we helped so many other, you know, families that, you know, that wanted to come there. Um, it was a very costly project for me. I'm, I'm still paying for it, mm. um, you know, in, in a lot of different ways, because things just, you know, things just don't go right. Um, but, mm-hmm. you know, but like I said, if I had to do all over again, I definitely would. I definitely would do that, you know, for my dad, because. It was the single greatest choice that I had, you know, to make and for for him in his care. And um, and that's what I did. Wow. Wow. That is wonderful. And just from talking to you before, I know that that home now is you've converted it to a home to help teen girls who are. Yeah. Well, the home has had many it's had many, you know, different renditions since it was a care facility. We we did that for about nine years. Mm -hmm. And so after that, um, you know, one of the one one of the things that I had I had made a commitment that since I had built the facility and, you know, and did all that work and that um, I was committed to, you know, maybe not continuing this work, you know, the dementia care work at the time, because, you know, families just couldn't afford it. It was just very difficult. But I was committed to making sure that it was something that could be used in the community. So we've had everything from um, homeless projects there. Mm -hmm. You know, we've housed veterans, you know, and currently, you know, we're, um, you know, we're, we're doing things with with young girls that have been through trafficking and, and trying to, you know, mm-hmm. provide a safe place for them to come and, you know, um, have their, you know, have their, you know, healthy baby and then transition into more of a permanent type of housing. I don't run that program, uh, okay. you know, but it's the program that's currently, you know, in that space where we used to have the okay. care facility. Um, it was uh, it was just a perfect fit because they're able to do programming in the back, such kind of like what we did with with the program. So that's currently what we do. But the ideal is that, you know, I've always wanted to keep the space. I wanted to be, you know, to provide a service for the community. And so, you know, as long as we're able to do that, you know, we'll we'll continue to do do that. 
Got you. All right. And I also uh, just happen to know that you currently are still in a caregiving role in caring for your mom. So I'd just like for you to, in terms of giving people advice on what they should pay attention to regarding self-care, what would you advise somebody who's kind of getting into caregiving now and what things they need to pay attention to in order to take care of themselves? Yeah, well, I think first and foremost is is to, um, you know, recognize what's going on with you as an individual, you know, making sure that you have health insurance, you know, because, you know, you don't want to create a barrier of, of why you're not going to the doctor if you need to go. And so making sure you have health insurance. I mean, this is the time for people to really look into, you know, there's, you know, well, healthcare.gov is offering some wonderful prices with some great, you know, with some great, you know, organizations and things like that, where there's no excuse not to have health insurance anywhere mm-hmm. from, you know, from a dollar on, on up, you know, some people in some case just depends on your situation, but, you know, there's, is definitely, um, because I've been out there myself, I've looked myself. And so I know firsthand, you know, what's, what's out there. And, um, and I would definitely recommend people, you know, get, get, get your health insurance. Um, and the other thing is, um, you know, educate yourself, you know, as, 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 as a caregiver, because a lot of the caregiver stress and the things that we go through is it, it's really, you know, it's lack of education. You know, a lot, a lot of this stress you don't have to go through because when you know better, you do better. You know, and so so instead of having an argument with the person that you're caring for, you get these tools that you learn. And so so that, uh, you know, that relieves the stress because now you have better training that you understand how to redirect some of the behaviors, you know, rather than being confrontational. You know, and that relieves stress for you and the person you're caring for. And so it's you know, it, it's not always with the caregiver. It's not always about, you know, what does the care, caregiver need to do to take care of themselves? It's like, well, learn how to be a caregiver for one. You know, because if you learn how to be a caregiver, you 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 take a lot of that, you you'll be able to identify, you know, what's going on. That's the reason why I love like, you know, the, the training courses they they have. One particular is the savvy caregiver. Because what it does is it is it teaches the caregiver to address caregiving issues based on the stages of where that person is in the disease. And so we know, like in the early stages, you know, there needs to be less of the caregiver. You need less involvement because the goal is to keep them engaged and keep them going as long as you can. You know, because toward the end, there's a whole lot of work to be done. You know, so the smart thing as a caregiver to take care of yourself is to align yourself with the person you're caring for. And so if I can align myself, you know, Matthew, if I know you're in the first stages of the disease and I can align myself with you, knowing that there's a lot of independence happening, you know, what happens in the first stages? There's still a lot of independence. There's still a lot of that person that's there. And so you need to allow them to do that as much as you can, you know, right. versus if they're in the if they're in the middle stages to where, you know, some things aren't safe for them to do any longer. That's where you kind of that that's where that alignment comes in and knowing where to do that. And so when you have that type of training and you understand, you know, and you and because these trainings teach you how to identify what stage is the person that I'm caring for, what stage are they in? As soon as you can identify what stage you're in, that's what allows you to align. So these are the types of things that I should be doing. You know, I'm doing here. I, here I am. The person is in in first in in, in the early stages, and I'm doing late stage activities. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm stopping them from making their bed. I don't let them do anything. I'm not doing it. You you know, and so that alignment is off. And, you know, it's, you know, it's kind of like that whole unequally yoked. I think the caregiver needs to be equally yoked with the person that they're caring for, you know, so, 
so that you can relieve that stress on both ends for the person that you care for and yourself. And just realize that, you know, especially in the early stages, it's like toward the end, everything changes. It increases. They, they begin to need more, you know, um, you know, whether, whether it's, whether they're bedridden or whether, you know, it's their mobility, you know, whether, you know, sometimes we get to the point to where, you know, like some of the guys, people that we took care of, you know, toward the end stages, you know, we're pure, food is puree, you know, and, and people think, well, just because the food is pureed, you know, that's it. No, the the food is pureed. It goes in their mouth. You have to touch their cheek in order for them to know to chew. Oh, because wow. remember, the brain is not working. And so they don't remember that they need to chew. And so now so now so now they're chewing. Then you have to rub the neck in order mm-hmm. for them to know. Now, OK, now swallow. Wow. Now swallow. Wow. Now swallow. And so but that's but see, that's an end stage type of activity and things like that. So, you know, training and knowledge about the disease, you know, knowing what you're doing as a caregiver is a part of taking care of yourself as a caregiver. And then, of course, you know, um, you know, finding people that are in the same boat you're in. You know, and we do that and we do that through support groups. You know, there's not a lot of them, but it's growing, you know, and and, and they're getting more diverse with the support groups. You know, we're starting, you know, all men groups, all black men groups, you know, all LGBT groups, you know, uh, you know, uh, people caring for the parent. You know, there's all types of different groups that are, are, you know, that are emerging. And, you know, I would you know, I would suggest that people, you know. Find something that's a good fit for you. Don't go to something to where it's, you know, it's all off track. You know, it's, there's a there's a disconnect. It's like you, you're dealing with financial things over here and you had a support group and they're talking about, you know, all these wonderful things that they're buying and there's it, it, a disconnect. So I would say, you know, seek out, you know, people that, you know, that have similar, you know, and, and it might take you a couple of times to find a group. I'm not going to, you know, sit here and say that, you know, as soon as you find a support group, you'll be good to go. It, it, it's not true. Right. You know, it depends on where you live, depends on what type of group it is you know you may want more of a religious base you may want you may want more something to where you know there's more educational to where there's you know more presentations or you may just want to check in you know right. you know so there's different things and so i would tell people you know shop around for the right support groups um and again you know avail yourself to you know education you know in terms of you know what works for you you know uh, you know going to a seminar things like that everything doesn't work for everybody you know you may maybe you're an audible person you know maybe you want to listen to something you know seek out some good books and things like that that you know whether it's for self help or whether it's to learn about the disease you know movies are good there's some movies that are really good you know if you're trying to get the family to understand better what the disease is you know, maybe maybe that'll help relieve some of your stress as a caregiver. Then you can, you know, uh, uh, you know, dictate to other people in the family, you know, what the needs are. And, you know, and, and I think the other thing, too, as a caregiver, I would suggest, you know, is allow allow yourself to be OK with other people helping you, mm. you know, be OK with asking for help, mm. you know, because a lot of times we get burnt out as caregivers because we have this mindset that nobody can take care of mom like I can. Right. You know, it's like my sister, girl, you can't cook. You look at your kid, you know, you know what I'm about? You know, it's like you have all these things, but while you're going through this as a caregiver, what you're doing is is that support system that yeah. you that you're gonna need is not there because they get this mindset, oh, he got it, he got right. it, you can't do nothing to help him. And so when you need that support, it's not there. And like I said, if the dynamics are bad within the family, I would I would recommend for people to try to identify things that, you know, that, you know, what what do you want to do? You've got the sister, you know, if you don't want to do anything, you don't have time to come over here, but you financially well out, you want to give some money. 
Okay, that's your role. You give some money. This goes into the kitty. This will pay for mom to go to the podiatrist because, you know, the, her, her Medicare don't cover that. Mm. So, you know, it's it's things like that, you know, give people, you know, the opportunity to, you know, um, if they want to, you want to, you like, good. Oh, oh, this sister, you like doing the grocery shopping? Okay, let me give you, let me get you the list and you can do the grocery shopping or, you know, whatever it is and, and, and try to, you know, you know, get those dynamics in check because, if the dynamics aren't in check, you know, that's going to impact you. And it also impacts the person you care for. A lot of times people think people with the disease that they don't feel that they don't understand the tension. Trust me, they pick up on it. They feel it. They internalize it. And it's yeah. doing and it's doing nothing at all to help them. And so, you know, um, and some of us, you know, and, and sometimes you find yourself in a situation as a caregiver by yourself, you know, mm-hmm. and I tell caregivers like that, you have to be OK with that. You know, there, there's there, there's no there, there's no law that says that brothers and sisters and cousins have to come to your rescue to help you. This is your dead. You, you've decided that this is what you're going to do. And until you make some changes, you have you you have to be OK if you end up being a long ranger in this situation. But you also have to find family may not be the support, but there's other support systems out there. And you get that from places like your support groups, your churches and 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 whatever, you know, sororities or things like that, you know, other networks, people you work with that may be in similar situations. So you build you a whole new network of people. But that's how you take care of yourself, you know, as, yeah. as a Wow, Dr. Gaines, I got to tell you, man, this has been fantastic. You have just dropped so much knowledge and information and just tips and tricks to help people. And one of the benefits of this whole pandemic, some of those resources that you mentioned, the Savvy Caregivers course, I took that online, a six week course, I think like two hours each time. And, you know, I wouldn't have been able to have that without, you know, the pandemic and them going online. The support group where I met you, the black male support group online. So a lot of these resources that may have been geographically a barrier for people, they now can access with a lot of these things being on Zoom and online. I want to say thank you again and thank all of you for tuning in this week to another edition of Dementia in black and white until next time take care of your loved one yes that's important but also take care of yourself i'm out